Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, Living Word Family Church, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you're listening to those of you uh, who are visitors and tuning in, welcome once again. We are again coming to you from a safe and sanitized location, a secret location somewhere in central Illinois, and we are again missing you, our church family, terribly. I don't have a timeline, but uh, we are uh, we continue to explore plans for opening the doors. Now, listen, uh, full disclosure, you're watching this on Sunday morning, but I'm recording it on Friday afternoon, and just minutes ago, I got word that President Trump has declared um, churches essential, and so that might change the game in terms of when we can open. Uh, it's just a little too late to make that decision for this weekend, and there's still a lot of things we got to figure out, and we don't know how it's going to play out. By the time you watch this, a lot of this may have been decided already, but please bear with us. Be patient. We do want to gather in person as soon as, pos- as soon as possible. And listen, I know there's a pretty wide range of opinions on this, not just in the world, but right here in Living Word Family Church. Some of you want us to just ignore the stay-at-home order and open and others want us to uh, be much more cautious. I'll tell you this, and this is a preview to my uh, long-promised email. I know it's way behind. I'm still waiting to hear from at least two people who are in key positions, and I really uh, hesitate to uh, finish uh, writing this until I hear from them. Uh, but please know this. I am not in 100% agreement with what the governor and other officials are advocating in terms of this lockdown not by a long shot, Uh, but what we are experiencing as a church does not rise to the level of legitimate persecution. Please recognize that. There might come a time when we have to take a dramatic stand. I'm hopeful that it won't come to that. I don't want to be a coward. I don't want us as a church to be cowards, but I don't want to be reactionary either. All right? Uh, No matter what you think you know, believe me, there is a lot we don't know. Um, None of us do. I don't, you don't, nobody does. So while we are figuring this stuff out and sifting through the billions of pieces of information, remember a couple of things. Whatever nefarious plots or schemes might be afoot, they are not the plans of men. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, and our governor is. Our leaders are. Uh, Continue to honor those in authority. Absolutely continue to pray for those in authority. Um, Many of them are legitimately wrestling with some very, very tough decisions, and they are really trying to do what's best. They don't know either. There's too much information that they're, they're trying to sort through, people that they have to lean on for advice. Don't read the worst into everything that you hear. Uh, Keep your eyes on the prize, my friends, and remember that right in the middle of this mess, we are still called to live the gospel and preach the gospel. We are to be salt and light. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are supposed to be making disciples of Christ, casting out devils, healing the sick, and walking in a confidence that is based 100% on our faith in our great God. 
Let's pray and get into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for every person that's tuning in. Thank you for your goodness, your good plans for us. I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to each individual who's tuning in, that you would open our ears to hear what you're saying, open our eyes to see what you're showing us, and open our hearts to receive the word implanted which is able to save our souls. I pray now, Lord, that you also would anoint my lips to speak your word clearly, accurately, boldly, and effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. For the last few weeks, we have been talking about faith, about speaking words of faith and walking in authority. In fact, this whole what has turned out to be a series began the week after Easter, talking about post-resurrection authority and really looking at the limits of our authority as believers. Uh, that God has indeed given us authority over the works of the enemy, but that we can't, simply by the words of our mouth, uh, speak into existence the world as we want it to be. That is a toxic message that will leave you frustrated, disappointed, and disillusioned. Uh, we, will, we then looked at the grounds of our faith. When I say that there are limits to what we can accomplish with our faith, I do not mean that anything is impossible with God. I really can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't mean that God's power is in any way insufficient for anything. All I'm saying is that what we are believing God for must be based on the revealed will of God. The illustration that I gave you was one of a bridge over a chasm and that this bridge is a promise, a word from God, and faith is what sends us across it. And in that message, I emphasize that our words spoken in agreement with the word of God are a major component of how we walk across that bridge. Remember, Mark eleven twenty three. it says this, For assuredly I say to you, uh, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. There is, the word says, three times in that verse. And then we looked at faith, I'm going quickly because this is review, we looked at faith from the angle not just of speaking over our own lives and receiving what God has for us, but praying about things and praying for people according to God's will. And we looked at two beautiful examples last week of intercession, examples from the Old Testament when Abraham interceded for, really he was interceding for Lot, but God had declared to him he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham interceded. And when God told Moses on two separate occasions that he was going to destroy Israel, and Moses interceded. And I believe it's quite clear in all three of those cases that God told these guys he was going to do what he, was, what he said he was going to do, specifically so that they would pray, so that they would intercede and pray in accordance with his will to spare them. It's a beautiful and it's a sobering example of the powerful nature of the covenant relationship between God and man. I read a quote this morning that I had never heard before, maybe some of you had, and it was early this morning, and where I read it, it was attributed to John Osteen. I did a little bit of research on the quote uh, and found out that it probably goes back quite a bit further uh, than John Osteen, but anyway, it said this, God is a good checkers player. He never makes a move when it's your turn. Now, I know that's not scripture. And I have no doubt that many of you can testify of God intervening on your behalf when it was your move, as it were. But I still like the quote because it speaks to this mystery, this truth that God has in his sovereignty chosen to do what he does in the earth through his people. 
that he has limited himself to working in situations and circumstances into which he has been invited. It speaks more than anything to the power of prayer. Now back to Abraham and Lot. Again, God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is concerned for Lot, his nephew who lives there. And Abraham argues with God about sparing the righteous. How can you wipe out these cities? There might be 50 righteous people there. And God says, I'll spare it for 50 and then 40, 30, 25, and so on, down to 10. And God says all the way along, I'll spare it for the sake of 10 people. And I contend that sparing the city was exactly what God wanted to do. But in his justice, he had pronounced judgment on the city. It had to come unless his covenant man asked him not to. Um, what Abraham's prayer could have done if, if he had just asked God to spare the city for Lot's sake. Yeah, that Abraham's prayer could have spared the city. Um, that's the kind of pull that Abraham had with God because, not because Abraham was great, but because God had committed himself to Abraham. Same with Moses. If he really wanted to destroy Israel, he didn't have to tell anybody. He could just do it. But he told Moses first so that Moses would intercede uh, and God could avert judgment because of his commitment to Moses, to the prayers of Moses and an uh, answering those prayers. But apart from an intercessor, someone to stand in the gap, judgment has to come. Now, in those cases, it's extraordinary because what these two men are praying for appears to be just the opposite of God's stated will. He didn't come to them saying, hey, do you guys want me to do this? He says, I'm getting ready to do this. In Moses' case, he said, stand here beside me. Get out of the way. I'm going to destroy them. And then, uh, uh, and you've got people today, many people, believers I'm talking about, not people uh, who shouldn't know better, who would say, in a situation like that, well, who am I to argue with God? You've told me what your will is. Your will be done. Now compare those situations with other matters of prayer. Most of the things that we pray about or should be praying about have nothing to do with averting God's judgment or his wrath. We struggle with damaged or broken relationships, with provision, with sickness, and still some in fact, many would say God is in control. The very fact that these situations exist, that these things are happening, that these people are suffering, is indicative of the fact that God has ordained these things. Somehow, all of this suffering is the will of God. And the first thing I want to ask is, if that's the case, why pray about anything? And one might answer what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, he said, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Now, I actually like that quote in the right context, but the wrong context is to say that the only reason I pray about anything is to make me okay with everything that seems wrong to me. It sounds noble, but the same Lewis, C.S. Lewis, wrote this. I've shared this before. It's one of my favorite quotes from Mere Christianity. It's a little bit longer. It says this, if you do not take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then it is easy to say that anything you find in this world is a part of God. But of course, if you think some things are really bad and God is really good, then you cannot talk like that. You must believe that God is separate from the world and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to his will. 
Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say, if you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that this also is God. The Christian replies, don't talk damned nonsense. For Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, that space and time, heat and cold, and all the colors and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists loudly on our putting them right again. Now, let me make a quick remark on that last part, and I'm not arguing with Lewis. He would agree with, he would agree with this. Uh, we can only do so much when it comes to putting things right. As long as there is sin, there will be sickness, there will be poverty, there will be brokenness, etc. When Jesus ministered as a man, he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, unhindered by the sin nature. And even he did not banish every demon to hell. He did not eliminate poverty and sickness. What he did do, though, was to heal the sick, feed the hungry, cast demons out of people that he encountered in his sphere of influence. So let's start with that. Jesus will ultimately put things right one day in the future. We have been redeemed from the punishment of sin, and we have been given victory over the power of sin, but we have not yet been made free from the presence of sin. Also remember this, that Jesus, our example, did not teach those who came to him in need of healing and deliverance just to learn to accept what God gave them. He made a judgment on sickness every time he healed. And part of our job in putting things right is to do the same thing. We can't be afraid to pray for a change in circumstances when we recognize that circumstances are contrary to God's will. But we need to recognize when these circumstances are contrary to God's will. Uh, remember this, that Jesus was well aware of the presence of sin, sickness, poverty, and death in this world when he walked it as a man. But he dealt with it all on a personal level. We're called to do the same thing. We cannot el eliminate sickness, poverty, and death from our world. That will not happen until Jesus comes back to rule. And I know I'm repeating myself from several weeks ago, but I'm building up to something here. We are in a covenant with God that is more precious, more binding, and more powerful than the covenant that God had with Abraham or with Moses. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says this, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. To be precise, the main thing that's better about this covenant is that it is built on the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Because of that finished work, we're able to stand before God in Christ, and that means he is able to see us as perfectly righteous. And that means we are legitimate inheritors of every promise God made to the righteous. That means our prayers have power because we stand before him with a say, with a, with a standing that, that only belongs to the righteous. It means we need to take prayer seriously and be diligent, be diligent about praying in agreement with God's word. Because if it's true, and it is, that we can have whatever we say 
if we are praying in faith, then we can change lives. We can save lives. We can change circumstances with our prayers. But we can only pray in faith if we are praying according to God's word. So let's start here. For example, my, my favorite psalm, Psalm 103. And we begin in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the first few verses. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Just taking those first few verses, I start with the assurance that my sin is forgiven. That removes the condemnation and the doubt that always accompanies condemnation. Uh, God paid a dear price just so that I could stand before him clean, free of guilt, free of sin, free of doubt. And to stand or to grovel before him with the attitude or even with the word saying, I am nothing but a worm, I am sinful and unworthy of your love, might sound nice, it might sound humble, but it's actually a slap in the face of the God who gave his son so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Next, he heals all your diseases. If sickness is a result of sin and the fall and Everybody I know agrees that it is, every believer. And if I have been redeemed from sin and the fall, then I have been redeemed from sickness. I love what Keith Moore uh, had to say about this in our class at Rama, and what many of you have heard from one teacher or another. He heals all your diseases. And they did a study on that word all, the word that's translated all from the Hebrew. And in Hebrew, what that word really means is all. He heals all your diseases. And that means he heals diseases that are lifestyle related. We are righteous because, and we are righteous only because. Never forget this. You are righteous only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not your own righteous deeds. Psalm 34 uh, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Again, we are the righteous, whether we feel like it or not. Now, that's not license to sin uh, or continue in sin. It is actually a call on the Spirit's power to cause that righteousness to manifest itself in our lives. I, I shared a word with you last week, katergodsemai. Uh, which is the Greek word for something on the inside, working to the outside. In fact, I shared it from Philippians where it says, work out your salvation. Katergodsemai, your salvation, the salvation that's in you, let it come to the surface. Same principle here. Uh, but again, he delivers them out of them all. If you've blown it, if you're in a, uh, an affliction of any kind, and you can recognize it's my fault, he'll still deliver you. You've got to believe that. But you say, well, I'm not righteous anymore. Yes, you are. You never made yourself righteous in the first place. That was Jesus. Now, what's, and it goes on to say, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He fills your mouth with good things. That's prosperity. God really does want good things for us. But as ministers of the gospel, and that's all of us, we have to recognize that it is God's desire for everyone to experience that. 
the best thing, the most important thing that we can do is to be used by God to bring people into that relationship with God where they are also inheritors of those promises, those precious promises of this new and better covenant. One of the most significant things Jesus told his disciples is found in Matthew chapter 9. Beginning in verse 35, we read this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are a couple things we need to notice about this passage, and one is this, and it might strike your ears as almost sacrilegious, but consider it. Jesus seems to be saying, I can't do this by myself. He's also saying, I'm not going to be here very long. I'm leaving. You guys are going to be here. And that, again, is not meant to impugn the omnipotence of God. It simply reinforces the truth that God has committed to working through us. The second is this. There is a specific prayer request here. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. This is actually a liberating prayer for anyone who is praying for the salvation of a loved one. Maybe because of some conflict, some strained relationship, or something, you are unable to reach that person. They won't hear you. They will not receive the gospel from you. But there is somebody who can. And somebody, so there's somebody who they will listen to, and we need to be praying without ceasing that God sends the right people across the path of those uh, who will not hear it from us. That's one way of praying that God sends laborers into the harvest. Now, there are also situations, and this is really where this whole sermon was ultimately heading. There are situations where we are not entirely sure how to pray. The Bible's pretty clear on some things. But there are situations like, for instance, this COVID-19 mess that we're in. It's a good example. There's a lot of anger directed at the government. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion about what is the right course of action. We are supposed to pray for those who are in authority. But how do we pray? According to our desires, that would be easy to pray. Pray that the stupid so-and-so or these sinful blind and deaf people would just get their hearts right and agree with me. Well, that's what we all kind of want. That's kind of what will come out of us if we're not careful. Uh, but we can't pray in faith simply according to our desires, can we? We can only pray in faith according to what? The Word of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And no matter how confident you are, I said this at the beginning, I'll say it again, you might think you know a lot, but you don't know everything. God does have a plan, even in the middle of all this. I don't believe he brought this to us, but he does have a plan to take us through it. And there is a right way to pray. I, the great and mighty and wise Pastor Scott Millis, do not know exactly what that is but I've got a comforting and encouraging secret for you. We can pray perfectly in accordance with God's will if we will pray in the Spirit. 
Speaking and praying in tongues is mentioned several times in the Bible. It's still a bugaboo for a lot of people. Maybe some of you listening are like, I liked you until you started talking about that tongue stuff. Uh, but stick with me for a minute. Um, it's because so many people don't understand it. One of the most frustrating things for me as a believer in tongues is this notion that tongues is this complete lack of control over our faculty of speech, that it only takes place in this state of spiritual ecstasy. But the Apostle Paul describes it in very reasonable terms. If you will read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, this is kind of, these three chapters are really all about the gifts of the Spirit. I don't have time to do a discourse on it now, but even chapter 13, which is the great love chapter, is really a way of understanding the right way to employ the gifts of the Spirit, not just tongues, but all of them. And again, don't have time to go into all of it this morning, but he clearly differentiates between the, uh, the gift of tongues as in a public utterance that always requires interpretation. If you're going to stand up in front of uh, a body of believers and share a, a message in tongues, it needs to be interpreted by you or somebody else. But he differentiates between that and praying in tongues, which is what he's talking about in chapter 14. Let's look at this. The whole chapter, and again, really all 12, 13, and 14 are worth reading again and again, but the context of what I'm about to read is this, that tongues is not meant for you to demonstrate how spiritual you are. If you are operating in any gift of the Spirit in the assembly, that is always going to be for the edification of the body. And that means if you deliver a tongue, there has to be an interpretation because they can't be edified by something they don't understand. But does that mean that tongues is worthless just because it's not doing somebody else any good? No, because there is a difference between the public utterance and praying. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'll read verse 14 here. Read the whole chapter. I'm not taking anything out of context. I just don't have, I don't want to spend the time reading the whole chapter to you right now. But in chapter 14, verse 14, it says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. Please notice that. He says that when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Now, his mind is unfruitful. So what's he say? Well, then I just won't pray in tongues anymore? No, I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll pray in a language I understand. You see, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. And if if that's happening, and if I don't understand what I'm saying, then who is directing that prayer? It's the Holy Spirit. If he is the one directing that prayer, then I can be convinced that I am praying perfectly in agreement with the word of God. And it gets better. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 again, verse 18. I thank my God. I speak in tongues more, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Early on in this coronavirus mess, I preached a sermon on what the church is. It is the assembly, right? I'm not the church. You are not the church. We are not the church unless we are assembled. In the assembly, understanding... Clear speaking are important, but Paul here says he's thankful for his tongue talking. 
It's just that when you're together, that's not always the time to do it. So when is the time to exercise this gift, this ability, this facility? When we're not together, like now, right? I'm sharing this with you for a couple of reasons. I was really moved by Brian Knight's testimony, the thing that he shared and that I shared with you uh, via email. And if you didn't get that, let us know. Uh, at least if you're a member of, uh, if you're part of Living Word Family Church, we'll get that email out to you. Uh, listen, I have been in charismatic slash word of faith churches since I was 14. And I have seen it all, or I've seen almost all of it. I have seen people fall out under the power of God. I've seen people overcome with laughter. I have seen people in states of genuine drunkenness in the spirit without ever having touched a drop of alcohol. Uh, and exib exhibiting all manner of manifestations of the tangible presence of God. But personally, I have never experienced most of those things. I've been in prayer lines where I have literally been the last man standing. And I'm not trying, as far as I know, I'm not trying to resist anything. And I believe in all these things. I don't feel like these people are wrong for experiencing what they're experiencing. I believe in these things. I'm not a naysayer. I know this stuff is real, but I have never felt strongly that I was missing out. Not really, anyway. I've desired it, but I've never felt like I had a spiritual problem that kept me from experiencing those things. And as far as I know, uh, as far as I know myself, I'm not opposed to those things happening in the future. I'm not saying that just because I haven't experienced it that I never will. I'm fine with it if they do. It's just that I've never sweated it, and here's why. It's because I see nothing in Scripture that tells me that these things must be experienced. So, because of that, I have taken it for granted that since I don't struggle with speaking in tongues, that nobody does. Figure if you can be slain in the Spirit and be drunk in the Spirit, holy laughter, tongues must be a piece of cake because it's a piece of cake for me. <sighs> nobody who believes in it, that is, anyway. Obviously, people who don't believe in tongues are going to struggle with it. But let me tell you a little bit about that. My, my testimony of being uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was a freshman in high school, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My dad was a Rama student, and we attended an excellent church with an excellent youth group. I lived for Wednesday nights. I loved youth group. We had a spirit-filled youth pastor, and uh, every week, I think every week, if not every week, then certainly almost every week, there was an altar call to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the altar call was very specific, that you will speak with tongues, and I wanted that. <sighs> There were times at home, in bed, when I felt that I could at any moment just burst out praying in tongues, but I had never answered that altar call. I had never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so I didn't. I almost felt like I was holding it in, even though I hadn't received it yet. And I cannot explain to you why I resisted answering the altar calls. It was just some over self-consciousness or something. It's ridiculous. I can't explain it other than to tell you that I did. I resisted publicly answering the altar call. And then one night at Rama, Brother Copeland was uh, doing a series of meetings at Rama, and he had an altar call for that. And I almost went down, and I'm standing there chastising myself. I didn't do it when I should have, and I 
didn't know if I should run down the aisle. And then he said, if you are standing out there, sitting out there, and you want to receive it, just pray this with us. So I did. And when I got home, it just spilled out of me. It was the easiest thing I ever did. And I have never wrestled with it since. I've never doubted it. It has always been easy for me to pray in the Spirit. Now, I'm not 100% sure why, but I think it's simply this. I was utterly convinced from God's Word that it was God's will for me to receive that ability. I remain utterly convinced that it is God's will for me and for you. And now, perhaps more than ever in our lives, we, the unassembled assembly, must pray in the Spirit. And there is something beautiful about that. When we, unassembled, pray in the Spirit, we are all praying God's will. We are in perfect agreement with Him. We are in perfect agreement with, other, with each other. Even if we don't understand everything we're praying, it is an utter act of faith. And it is a mystery for sure, but it is a glorious one. And one of the most profound manifestations of faith we are capable of. I'm praying what God prays through me, and you are praying the same thing, even if we, at the moment, don't understand everything we're praying. I can trust that what, what the Holy Spirit is praying through me is exactly what I should be praying for. And he is still involving my prayers in the process, you see? God still needs us to speak these things out. He still needs his covenant people to pray for these things, for his will on the earth. And even when we are unsure, he accomplishes that purpose with our prayers when we pray in the Spirit. That's exciting. It's exciting to me. And if it's not exciting to you, then I probably didn't express it right. So pray in the Spirit for a while and let God drop that into your heart, okay? I know some of you... Uh, that might be a lot to take in for some of you. Not Most of you who are part of Living Word Family Church, you get it. You've, you've seen it. You've been exposed to it. If this is something that's a struggle for you, I encourage you. Study it out. Read it. And, and I would start with 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read them. I used to tell kids in my youth group who would come from outside to read that. And they very quickly came to the same conclusions. And, and just, but do it honestly and pray that the Lord would open your eyes and your heart to his truth. Amen? Listen. God has good plans for us. He has good plans for his children. His plans are all good. Uh, but no matter what you've heard, the whole world, all the people in the world are not God's children. There is such a thing as a brotherhood of man. But uh, only those who call on his name are the family of God. Only those who look to the cross of Christ, who uh, submit to his lordship, and trust in the finished work of his crucifixion and his resurrection will experience salvation. And if you want to do that today, you can. How do you know if you need it? Can you remember a time when you cried out to Jesus, when you personally committed your life to him? If you can't, then you need to do it. it, it because it's something you won't forget. You might not remember the exact date and time, but you'll remember that you did it. It's the single most important decision you can make. And I'm going to close this sermon in prayer here in just a minute. And I'll include a prayer of salvation. And I encourage you to pray along. If you are a believer, if you've already made that commitment to Christ as Lord, and you desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes, it's not limited to, uh, but it does include that precious ability to pray in the Spirit, you can pray that too. And you'll, you'll know when that opportunity comes along. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the very faith that you've given us to believe your word. Thank you for the understanding that you give us as we look at your word. I pray that you stir us all up. Those of us who are believers, who have been baptized in your spirit, that you stir us up to exercise this wonderful ability that you've placed in us to pray perfectly according to your word as we yield to your spirit. I pray now for those who are watching, who might be tuning in, who have never made a commitment to Christ, that you would convict them of sin, convict them of their need for a Savior, and just fan the flames of that longing for connection with you, the Creator, and move on them to pray this prayer. Lord God, I need a Savior, and I am thrilled to find out that Jesus is the Savior that I need, that the work's already done. I believe that the, de the death he died on the cross was for my sin, and I yield my life and confess him as my Lord. And I believe, Lord, that he rose in victory because you raised him from the dead. I believe now that because of that prayer, because of that confession, that you are not just God, but you are my God and my Father. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Now, believer... Uh, and even if you just prayed that prayer, pray this one. Heavenly Father, I trust you for my eternity. I trust you for my salvation and my forgiveness. But I desire to receive the power that you promised your disciples, the, one, the power that you told them to linger uh, and, and tarry in Jerusalem for. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me, empower me, strengthen me, and bring into my life the gifts that make me a gift to the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed either one of those prayers, we really want to hear from you. Reach out, contact us, comment, send us a note, give us a call. Living Word Family Church, St. Joseph. I'm Pastor Scott. It's good to spend this time with you. I really look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. We love you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.